So I was talking to Rosie and she texted me like a little while ago that Sims 4 was like $5. Yo, yeah, yeah. So I purchased it, but she was basically saying that she wanted to do the Sims Bachelor Challenge where I guess seven Sims live in the same house as another Sim and compete for its affections. And she was being like, I want to theme it though. Like, what could I do? And we ended up brainstorming with the characters from Tamora Pierce's Tortal books. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. And so, you know, listeners can't see this, but I will later post it on my Instagram. As you can see, there were many people that I wanted to have appear but not be contestants, but I was very sad to find out only eight people can live in a house. So then I conceived of a guest house where all the rejected characters could live. (laughs) So who are the final bachelors? Well, obviously, Jonathan and George, who are her main love interests in the book. Liam, who is, like, also a love interest, but highly forgettable in comparison. Yes, her, her fuck toy. Yes. Roger, the villain. Oh, no. Um, Alex, the under No, I would be- What? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. Rosie arguably said, like, several other people, but I was thinking who would be interesting to create as a sim. You know, it's not about who I think Alana should be with, which we all know the answer. It's Jonathan. But- Well, you and I know the answer. Rosie and I are going to fight about this live on Twitch. Or whatever it is. I think it's Twitch. But also, Delia, the girl that Jonathan flirts with that Alana is super jealous of. Oh, yes. There is some, like, weird homoerotic tension there. And the princess that Jonathan eventually marries, who I always thought was named Thayet, but then Rosie pronounced it Thayet, and now I just don't know what to believe. There is no way it's Thayet. But think about it. I never listened to an audiobook as a child. Maybe Rosie did, and maybe she's right. How could it possibly be Thayet? If you look at the spelling of her name, which is T-H-A-Y-E-T, how could it possibly be Thayet? Look, I'm just, I'm putting it Thayet? out there. Thayet? <laughs> anyway, in the guest house, we have her friends Gary and Raul, Faithful the Magical Cat, her brother Tom, Burry Thayet's like... Friend, yes. Rispa, who is George's cousin. Oh, yep. And... I petitioned to include the horses, Moonlight and Darkness, but Rosie said you can't have a horse in The Sims, probably, so we might have to make them dogs. (laughs) So what are you going to do if someone from the guest house romances Alana? I'm not sure. I'd also like to bring up Francis of Non, their friend who dies in the first book. I was hoping we could have him as a ghost, but Rosie pointed out that we'd then have to make him and kill him. This has gotten complicated, I see. Anyway. Welcome to Romcomathon. I'm Alex. And I'm Kat. And today we're here talking about life as we know it and commemorating Romcomathon's first birthday, slightly late, but it's fine. Your intrepid hosts are on top of it, as always. Look, time has lost all meaning. That's true. What is time? April has been going on for a thousand years. Not as long as March, though. But anyway, yeah, we realized that Rumcomathon had its very first podcast episode one year ago, and so we are here celebrating one year of Rumcoms and good times. We thought this was fitting. Life as we know it celebrates not one, but two birthdays, a first birthday and a second birthday. Of a baby. Yes, not of, like, a protagonist. That would be confusing. Yes, it would be confusing. What an interesting rom-com. Babies in love. That feels like a YouTube video. Yeah. Um, We actually did watch Life as We Know It on Netflix Party, which I feel like a lot of people are doing these days. And it actually was pretty fun. 
I was a little afraid we'd now have nothing to say to each other because we used to always watch movies together when it was the blog, but for the podcast, we generally watch them separately. But then I was collecting my thoughts and I was like, I've got thoughts. Yeah, I still have things to say. With Netflix Party though, the movie like keeps on going. You're not going to be able to like type as fast as like the film is continuing. Shall I summarize the plot? Yes, that would be great. Katherine Heigl is a classic rom-com heroine who owns a beautiful bakery in Atlanta and has never had fun a day in her life. Josh Duhamel, meanwhile, is an excessively fun, I guess like sports TV director. He's a technical director. At like a sports network. For a team, maybe? For like a certain subset of games? He seems to work at some kind of vaguely ESPN-y place. Sure. Anyway, so they are set up on a blind date in their youth where they discover they hate each other. But unfortunately, their best friends are dating and then eventually get married. So they see each other around frequently for years, such as at these friends' wedding and at the first birthday of their extremely cute baby, Sophie. But luckily, they don't have to see each other more than that. Until one day, tragedy strikes and their friends die in a car accident. This is a comedy, though. Yes. And the comedy, I guess, comes from then Katherine Heigl and Josh Duhamel discover that their friends left them their baby without telling them, apparently expecting them to raise her together, these two people that hate each other. They try to find someone else to take her, but there are no takers. So they're just stuck with the baby and many shenanigans ensue in which they fight and struggle and ultimately find like a co-parenting balance and also sleep together. Very predictable. Um, and for a second, it seems like everything's going to work out. But then Katherine Heigl finds out that Josh Duhamel got a job offer in Phoenix and flips out. They get in a big fight and clearly both have a lot of trauma they need to work through, which they haven't worked through. And Josh Duhamel just like up and moves away. While Katherine Heigl goes on with her life with the baby and Dr. Josh Lucas, the handsome and perfect pediatrician. But then Josh Duhamel comes back for Thanksgiving and confesses that he loves her. And she's like, I don't know, it's really awkward, all our guests are here. But then she chases him to the airport, accompanied by the baby's weird social worker. But they don't catch him and inexplicably can't call him on the telephone. And so they come home all sad, but then he's there because he's also realized they should be together. So they get to be together and hopefully go to therapy. So much therapy. I don't know why counseling was not a like significant portion of this film. It didn't seem like any of them were going to therapy or working out their issues, their trauma, their grief over the death of their best friends. Yes, I feel that if any one of my dearest friends abruptly died and left me their child, I would need some professional mental health support. You think? The whole time they're like, God, like this is really hard. Maybe you should talk to someone about that. Yeah, like maybe you should go and work on some of these issues because it's a lot to suddenly, you know, have your best friends perish and then leave you their offspring. Yes, frankly, it's a lot even if they don't leave you their offspring. Yeah, even if they left you their dog. And like, there are even nice moments that I'm still like, this is so traumatic. Like there's a moment near the end where Katherine Heigl's alone with the baby and the baby calls her mama and she has like a weird moment of being like, no, like I'm not. But then she's like, oh, I guess I am. And I'm like, this is supposedly like a nice moment of her moving on. But I also think would be like a huge talk about this in therapy moment. Yeah, I really hope that post film, they both realize that they need to be in therapy. And you know, there's a sequel, life is as we know it. We talk about things a lot. Yes, life with our therapists. 
Like, honestly, it might have to be life with individual therapists, life with a couples therapist. Yeah, exactly. A family therapist for the baby. Yes. Um, although she's very young. Yeah, she'll probably be fine. She'll probably be okay. You know, we'll see. I have to say about the baby being so young. This came up when we watched it for the blog as well. And I looked, I didn't do more research, but I looked back at our blog entry and I think I did research at the time. And it does seem like maybe you can leave your baby to people without them knowing. That's insane. I don't know if laws vary from state to state, but like I definitely remember there were like estate planning advice websites that were like, we suggest having a conversation with your would-be guardians. And I was like, is this a suggestion and not an obligation? Like it's not, you're not legally obligated to warn people you're leaving them with a human life. It's pretty crazy, but I guess there's no legally binding situation where those people have to sign a document because then it would actually contractually bind them into, you know, being forced into that situation. I guess they need to allow for flexibility. I don't know. I mean, honestly, if anyone knows more about this, we haven't done that much research, so feel free to write in. But honestly, when they were trying to find someone to give the baby to, like, not to be heartless about this, but a one-year-old white baby, probably not that hard to adopt if they really couldn't take care of her. No, but that's rough, you know? Like, you think, like, oh, they left the baby to us. They clearly wanted people who loved her and knew her to, like, raise her. Let's just, like, give up guardianship to the state. That's rough. I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying it crossed my mind. Anyway, obviously they don't do that. I did enjoy when they're struggling with the baby, how clearly the entire neighborhood of other parents does not trust them. That's fair. And keeps just like popping in. I too wouldn't trust them. They're like single lady, hot, fun friend. I don't think they're gonna do it. Well, to be fair, Katherine Heigl is not fun enough that she'd probably be fine. But <laughs> I was gonna say like Katherine Heigl seems plenty responsible. Yes. I also want to say that at the beginning of the film where we're like introduced to them on their blind dates and their like respective you know nonsense personalities I was like I find Katherine Heigl's response to Josh Duhamel like very reasonable actually he shows up an hour late he doesn't make a reservation at a restaurant and he expects Katherine Heigl and all her date get up to just get on his motorcycle I don't necessarily find the other two egregious like people are different but the hour late is really like I would not go with you. Well, it wasn't like he didn't make a reservation. Like that wouldn't inherently make me annoyed. I think my annoyance would be like, oh, but you haven't decided where we're going. Like if you had told me like we could both know or we could have a short list even. I mean, he's clearly planned nothing at all. Yes. Given this very little thought. I don't know why either of them agreed to this setup. You know, they thought they could trust their friends. Yeah, they thought they could trust their friends to set them up on good dates. They thought they could trust their friends not to dump their child on them. But who's to say? Who's to say? I would like to solemnly make a pact that if I were to perish and leave you my child, I will let you know beforehand. Yes, I think that that's a conversation that people could have before they die. Yeah. I mean, death is unexpected. I, I could be hit going on a walk tomorrow by a car. True, but you have no children, so that's fine. The, well, I have a cat. Yes, but people are usually not as reticent to take on people's cats. That's fair. I wouldn't leave you the cat. You already have to. Yes, that's just so many cats for one human. <laughs> yep. 
I gotta say, it's really interesting how like two cats per person going from two to three cats per person <laughs> is like such a big leap of going from like normal cat owner to slightly crazy cat owner. Yes, the difference between two cats for one person and three cats for one person is significant. I why is that? I mean, it's not like you can go from two to two and a half cats, you know? Well, that's appalling. <laughs> know but let's think about children i as a person tend to be like two children is a normal number for people to have once you get into three and four although there are many families with three or four children i personally recoil a bit yes i personally get a bit well this seems a lot and a little bit ethically irresponsible but well it's most mostly i feel like this is a lot of children like why would you want this many sticky jam hands Yes, I mean, I think it's a personal thing, too. Sometimes I feel like it's an issue of how close together in age the children are, because personally, having cared for young children, like, I would hate to have more children than hands. But that's just me. Other people may feel differently. I think there are people who really like children, but I I truly think that coronavirus life would really test that love. Yes. Speaking of coronavirus life, I was like, oh, It's too close to home when the neighborhood was visiting them and one of the moms goes, you can never have enough paper towels. Oh, yeah. But like so many things I watch these days, I'm like, "Mm, this would never fly in the time of quarantine. Yes. Look at all these people just shaking hands. I know. Living their lives. Look how many people crowded into this house. God. Okay. A different time. So we put out a poll on Instagram, which like no one responded to, but it's fine, about Katherine Heigl's cakes that she makes for Sophie's birthdays, right? So she makes this like elaborate large sheet cake with a duck on it for her first birthday. And then she makes like a cupcake tier for her second birthday. And we were posing, you know, which cake do you think is better? I still stand my ground. Cake number two, the cupcakes. You can at least ensure that each cupcake will be moist. Who knows about that she cake? She is a professional baker. Do you not think her cake is sufficiently moist? In the film, her friend says to her that the wedding cake that she baked for her was a little dry. Wedding cakes are tough, man. But I don't understand, like, why do you think a cupcake is inherently moister than a regular cake? Cupcakes have less area. Cupcakes? Like, it's easier to overbake a cupcake. No, but I think in general that cupcakes turn out better. I also think, like, the frosting to cake ratio is better. I mean, I think it really depends. Like, I love Susie cakes, but sometimes I'm like, I didn't need this extra frosting inside. That's a lot of frosting. I think a regular cake is just not as good as a cupcake. I think I probably generally prefer a cupcake as well, but that's partly because cupcakes are adorable and easy to purchase. I don't necessarily think that means they're superior. But I think at a birthday party where, you know, slices of cake are like can be like a difficult amount of cake, whereas I feel like a cupcake would be great. Well, maybe, but I don't even know if the group of cupcakes can be considered a cake. Oh, so you are posing an actual issue with my categorization of the cupcake cake. Yes, I don't accept your premise. I think that's very rude because they were both baked as birthday cakes, okay? (laughs) To celebrate a child's birthday. But the duck, the duck's so cute. The duck is cute, but think about it. It's probably just like covered with buttercream. Like, what's wrong with buttercream? I mean, I like buttercream, but too much buttercream is too much buttercream. Wow. Um... I need to bring something up about ducklings. Okay. So at one point, Josh Duhamel is watching TV with the baby, and he mentions a character named Ming Ming and a show, Wonder Pets. What animal did you assume Ming Ming was? Oh, the duck? 
Have you seen the show? No, I've never seen the show. I've only seen that screen grab. But I think the reason I only think the duck is Ming Ming is because the duck is literally the only animal. Oh, maybe I didn't see the screen. I just heard the line. And so I assumed that Ming Ming, racistly, was a panda. Wow, you are crazy racist in this moment. Do you think a duck couldn't be named Ming Ming? I think they can now. (laughs) Is that a real show? Yes, it's a real show. I looked up Wonder Pets Ming Ming and it was like Ming Ming the Duckling. And I was like, whoa. Oh, what are the other animals? I have no idea. Oh. I, I left the page. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted you to know in case you didn't know. But as it turns out, you knew because I just I think I didn't see the television. Well, it talking. turns out that I am just like a less racist children's television viewer. Yes. You know, I'm OK with that. I'll take that label. <laughs> You're like, oh, Ming Ming could only be a panda name. All right, lady. <laughs> say could only be a panda name i just underestimated children's television and assumed it was a panda wow what about sagwa the cat i don't know who that is are they also from wonder pets no i'm talking about the cartoon on pbs when we were like in elementary school sagwa nope she's a siamese cat she lives with her siamese cat family in china they're all named after various melons but she got stupid melon oh that's so sad i know her other ones are like shigua tongua you know (laughs) never seen this Man-wa. show what are you talking about you don't know about sagwa it's like a children's book oh my god though pumpkin the cat would be very cute that's a cute cat name that's a super cute cat. not name. as cute as pudding pudding is the cutest cat name i think food names for cats is very cute but alex disagrees with me she thinks that cats should be given actual names because they're like too dignified for like garbage names but i think a garbage food name is perfect for a cat because cats are dumb shits I mean, you and I have talked in the past on social media about how cats have names that are suitable for kings and dignitaries. Yes. And dogs have bro names. Yes. Like dogs are named Max and Tyler and Jack. Yeah. I mean, you in theory, you could have a dog named Chad. Why would you? But you could. And cats are named like George. Adolphus. Bartholomew. I'm just saying, you'd run into these cat names at like the Abbey and you'd run into these dog names at the skate park. <laughs> Anyway, speaking of places that you run into people, something that we discussed at length in the Netflix party chat box, who are all these people who rampantly hit on men with babies and rings? This is a big rom-com trope or like media trope in general that they're like, women love a man who's married with a baby. Who are these women? Why? Yeah, I actually want to know if there's any truth in this, because like, I know that we as a society tend to revere fathers for doing the most basic parenting tasks. But is it like a sexual desire? Are you like, yes, I'm just gonna like go for that man. Because in the film, Josh Trahamel basically is always happy to go grocery shopping with the baby because he's like, I pick up all my women at the grocery store. And Katherine Heigl is like, I need to see this for myself. So she like goes with him one time. And they look like a family. Like you would assume, you know, mom, dad, baby, right? But there are all these women who are just like giving him eyes. And I'm like, who are all these women just blatantly hitting on this man with a baby and a wife at the grocery (laughs) store? Like, sure, I can imagine just the baby. Okay, maybe you might make some flirtatious eyes at him from, you know, the next aisle or, you know, whatever. But like with what you would assume to be his wife just standing there. 
Well, it also happens with Adam Scott in Friends with Kids. We're like, why is he picking up Megan Fox with the baby? And she actually has the normal reaction, which she's like, um, you have a baby. And he's like, no, 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 I'm single. But unless you fully had that interaction, why would you assume this man is single? No, that's 100% correct. Like, I feel like the default reaction would be he's married. But I think the whole thing, at least in media, is like a woman sees a man like that and thinks, oh, he's marriage material. Yes, because he's married to someone else, probably. Why are all these women so okay with like rampant cheating? I don't know. I, standards for women are so nonsensical. I mean, it's just like they're all like just moralist hussies. <laughs> Like, that's all that's populating grocery stores in films, apparently. Yes, it's just aisle after aisle of scarlet women, (laughs) as Mrs. Weasley would say. That is her, right? Yeah, when she calls Hermione. Which, by the way, so inappropriate that she would call a child that. Like, she's a child! (laughs) Does scarlet women come from scarlet letter? Yes. Or, like, do they come from the same thing? I think so. But, like, let's just Harry Potter this for a second. Mrs. Weasley full-on writes a letter calling Hermione a 14-year-old a slut. Okay, yes. First of all, absurd that she would be like, I believe everything I read in Witch Weekly. But I guess there's precedent for that in her character. Yes, that I can accept. But even if that were to happen, why would you not keep your opinions about the goings-on of teenagers to yourself? But, like, the excuse in the book is that she's, like, so filled with, like, motherly rage for Harry that she needs to, She's like, so weird about Harry. She's like, really look, weird. Like, look, I get it. He's an orphan. You feel maternal towards him. Maybe pay some attention to your own son, who is clearly struggling at various times in the book. I do hope Ron goes to therapy as well as an adult. It's like, we're not huge Ron fans, but, like... This is a child who clearly needs more attention than he's getting from his family. They don't even know. They don't care that his wand is broken. He's literally like, oh, maybe they do care. Maybe he doesn't tell them. I don't remember if he tells them or not. I mean, we've our big thing is that, like, how do the professors not notice, like, the noticeable drop in his quality of work between first year and second year? But, you know... They're not like, oh, Weasley is like, you know, just just fucking up all over the place. They never think like, hmm, Weasley's wand seems to be doing some weird shit. Do you think we should like fund him and get a new one? Like, what the hell is Hogwarts? I mean, I guess that Hogwarts is not like giving scholarships out to students or whatever, but it's not like you pay a They fee. do. They do. When we later meet Tom Riddle, like in the flashback, oh, that's Dumbledore right. says like, we have a fund for needy students. Well, and Ron clearly is, there's Weasley. no tuition. Or the Weasleys couldn't send all their kids. Ron Weasley is a needy student, okay? He needs a new wand. (laughs) And also, his family is so, like, at least somewhat well-regarded at the school. Like, all of his siblings have been decent students, and he was a fine student the year before. So, like, why would they not be like, something's clearly wrong? I know. I mean, I do get the idea that sometimes Harry and Ron are really just scraping by, but, like... (laughs) Yeah, when they get their OWLs, I'm like, really? Huh. Yeah. Anyway, that's our Harry Potter podcast. We will bring this back at a later point. Or really just hang out with us. It's This is like the nonstop conversation. Yeah, just what is going on at Hogwarts? Like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, why would you send your child there? They're likely to end up dead. Hagrid's an awful teacher. Don't get me started on Snape. Oh my god. Oh my god. How could Hagrid possibly be allowed to teach at the school? And the fact that he's fired is like treated as like this great offense. I'm on Malfoy's side. 
Anyway, <laughs> this is getting very controversial. <laughs> so back to the film. Um, speaking of potential items for debate, they really should sell the house. Their friends leave them this giant house and it's paid for already out of like their estate or whatever. Yeah, like the, but, the mortgage is taken care of. But the upkeep, like the, the utilities, like just like everything that the house like needs is not paid for. And so not only did they acquire a child, they also acquired considerable responsibility for this house. Yes. And it's a giant house, and initially they're both kind of like, oh, we can't afford this. But then the lawyer's like, oh, it's paid for. So they're like, okay, so they move into the house, you know, for a bit. By the way, we don't see them packing up their own homes. We don't see them getting rid of their own stuff. Like, whatever happened to them. It's not important. But they once, I think, have a conversation where Joshua Hamlet's kind of like, we should move or, like, we should at least, like, redecorate or something like that, right? Yes, he's he actually, yeah, he's like, it's kind of like we're living in a mausoleum. And Catherine Heigl is kind of like, oh, but they wanted her to grow up here. But then later, after he leaves town, she decides to sell the house because she can't afford it, but then, like, doesn't talk to him about it at all. Yeah, that's very weird. Like, he's like, were you going to tell me? And I'm like, surely you needed his consent or at least like acknowledgement that you were going to sell the house. Like, what did you think was going to happen? You were going to like just sell the property from like beneath his nose. Yeah, because he's like paying for half the upkeep, clearly still a part of their lives. Was she just going to be like new address? Who dis? It's very weird. But yes, they should sell the house. They can't afford the house. Here's the thing. No matter what, like their friends are like, oh, we wanted her to grow up here. Well, yeah, they wanted her to grow up there with them. Like, they're dead. So, frankly, they can't expect you to just, like, take on this house as well. Move into a townhouse. Move into a smaller house. Split custody between your apartments. It's fine. It's very unreasonable that their friends are like, let's just leave our friends our whole marriage. Yeah, it's not right. And frankly, creepy. (laughs) I know they just went on that one really shitty blind date, but I think that we should leave them our child and our home and force them to make it work. I would not be like, I'm going to leave my baby to my best friend and her mortal enemy. Thank you. I'm glad to know that. That's that's soothing to me to know. Who's your mortal enemy? Who is my mortal enemy? Anyway, I would like to say, at one point, Josh Nohamel, whose name is Messer, by the way, which is a dreadful name. It's his last name, but still. But why would you choose to go by that if that was your last name? And it also frequently gets shortened to Mess. Well, I mean, frankly, that seems spot on. (laughs) Anyway, at one point, he calls Dr. Josh Lucas replacement Messer. And I would just like to say that Dr. Josh Lucas is a significantly better person. Oh my god, yes he is. Responsible, has a well-paying job. Although, I don't know how much Josh Duhamel makes, but I assume not as much as a pediatrician. But maybe. Who's to say? Dr. Josh Lucas is like an actual adult, makes reservations, caring, nurturing. Like, I feel like these films are always like, you. but love, you want, you just, the heart just wants what the heart wants. And I just think sometimes let's just go for the responsible choice. The heart can adjust. (laughs) And that's the end of our romantic comedy podcast. (laughs) I'm sorry that I feel this way. Okay. But truly, justice for Dr. Josh Lucas. Why wouldn't you choose him? (laughs) Well, look, first of all, she loves him. Sometimes you're just like, you know, what can you do? But I will say that we're slamming Joshua Hamill a lot. He's really not that bad. Like, as a parent, he's not the guy that we meet on the blind date. 
That's true. He's a pretty good parent. He's a decent co-parent. They really kind of have found a system that works when it all falls apart because she finds out about the job in Phoenix. Oh, let's talk about that, right? Her reaction to him getting the job in Phoenix. Also, he hasn't taken it. He's just been offered it. Yes. So basically, he gets offered this job. And a hot second later, they're at a block party playing Happy Family. They've just like sort of established their relationship. They're sort of starting out. They're really like lovey-dovey with each other. He hasn't accepted the job. And like a co-worker basically sees him and is like, oh, congrats on that job. I guess we'll see you, if, you know, blah, 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 whatever. You're going to Phoenix. Assuming that he's taking it. And Catherine Heigl full on flips out out at him without giving him a chance to be like I got this job or I've been thinking about or anything she's just like oh now you're moving to Phoenix without us you weren't gonna ask me you weren't gonna tell me were you just gonna up and leave and it's like girl maybe he would have asked or at least like have the conversation there now that it's out in the open like wow like Phoenix really and also true maybe she can't move to Phoenix but like that's a discussion yeah you don't have to jump down his throat about this like a block party seriously like just pick a fight with him this is one of those things where I was like okay girl you need to like hold it together until you go to therapy (laughs) Yeah, they both clearly have issues because there's also another time where like he's like singing Radiohead's Creep to the baby and she's like inexplicably super hostile about it. Yeah, that's really weird. She's like, why would you sing that? And it's like, okay, chill out. It's a baby. You can sing anything to a baby. It's fine. But anyway, so she's like really upset. And then like throughout the movie, there are clear signs when they get upset with each other of like the stuff that comes out. You're like, guys, you need help. It's it's amazing that all those neighbors came over and they were like, let's offer baby advice. And not one of them was like, here's a referral to a psychiatrist. Exactly. Like, that's what they need right now. Not a casserole. Oh, I also hate, by the way, that like when they get in that big fight at Thanksgiving, when he comes back to be like, I love you, blah, 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 blah. And like the entire neighborhood is there for Thanksgiving overhearing them. Dr. Josh Lucas is like, if my ex-wife and I had fought like that, like we'd still be together or whatever. And I hate that. Okay, let's expand because you expressed this during our watch. I think I had just watched something else. I can't remember. Maybe it was like an episode of Ozark where like some people were fighting and someone was overhearing. And I think this is a constant trend that you watch like films or television and people are like bickering and then other people are like oh fights like that indicate real love and passion and like you should be together and my ex and I would still be together if we had fought like that and sometimes I'm just like or they like you should be apart (laughs) no it's true and I'm not saying this is true for everyone but I don't think that we should always be like a massive fight is an indication that they're like I think it's probably true that it is an indication that there are feelings there but it doesn't necessarily mean like oh you guys have great communication that's gonna make for a lasting relationship I don't know just me no I also feel that I feel like in these in a lot of rom-coms what they value is passion and not actually communication well yes because rom-coms turn on misunderstanding exactly so it's like well if these were both reasonable people like what movie would there possibly be but it just results in people watching this being like why why is this happening like what is wrong like take a breath share your perspective listen to the other person's feelings But I do love Melissa McCarthy, who at this point was not too famous to play bit parts, standing there in the other room while they're fighting going, sound really travels in here, don't you think? She's not wrong. One of my favorite lines. Um, 
Another one of my favorite lines is the crazy social worker who accompanies Katherine Heigl to the airport and Katherine Heigl is trying not to speed because she's like, aren't you observing me? And the social worker goes, I'm observing you missed the flight. Oh yes, that's one of your favorite lines, isn't it? I don't know why. I have always loved it. The sad, angry social worker is so like an over-the-top rom-com character that like I could potentially hate, but for some reason in this movie, I deeply enjoy her. She's just constantly showing up and like yelling at them for their bad choices. Is that a thing that like she can just turn up at all hours of the day or night? I do think that when you adopt or like foster care, I do think surprise visits are kind of a thing, but we have not talked about the truly dreadful track record they have with this social worker. Oh yes. Both times that the social worker turns up, besides like, because the social worker turns up three times. No, it's like actually, I guess four times counting like the initial visit maybe? Yeah, like they have a meeting where she tells them like, look, this isn't necessarily going to work. And then they're trying to make it work. And then the first time she shows up unexpectedly, Catherine Heigl is drunk for like what seems like practically the first time in her life. Yes. And then the second time, are they still high or have they just, were they high the night before? So they still have the weed brownies out. They were high the night before. They wake up like in disarray, having slept with each other. Yes. And the brownies are still out. So they're not, they're no longer under the influence of weed. But the home is a mess. Yes. And then the social worker like reaches for a brownie and Katherine Heigl like knocks it out of her hand. (laughs) And then she's like, I'm so sorry. It's a bad batch. I mean, to be fair, the social worker was a little presumptuous. Like you shouldn't just like reach for the baked good. Yeah. I don't go over to like essentially strangers homes and I'm like, ooh, cookies. Let me just take one. Well, especially not when you're on the job. Yes. Even at a friend's house. No, but perhaps not as presumptuous. No, I, if, if I had a plate of brownies out and you came over to hang out, I certainly wouldn't be like, God, why would you think that you could have one of these? Still, I think I'd likely wait for you to offer or at least ask. Yes, but if I were, you know, the social worker, I certainly wouldn't be like, now feed me a snack. <laughs> um, here are some other lines and scenes I enjoyed. When they're trying to get rid of the baby or like fob her off on another relative, there's a family that has nine kids, which is horrifying, unless one of them turns out to be Stephen Colbert. And they're like, well, we could go with that family. Like they know how to keep a child alive. Um, I also like when Josh Duhamel first, so basically in the first chunk of this movie, I like had looked at our blog entry and remembered that we previously gave it eight and a half smooches. And I was like, really? This nonsense? And then I forgot how good it gets in the middle when they start to like each other. Yes, it's really nice. I, one of my favorite scenes or sequences is like the montage in the middle where they are co-parenting well and they like kind of are like getting along and it's just nice. Like I really enjoy that portion when the babies first starts walking and it just seems like, you know, their lives have kind of like gotten into a rhythm. Yeah, I love that scene when the baby starts walking, Catherine Heigl is upstairs in the bath and she's like, stall her! So then Josh Duhamel pushes the baby down. Yes. Um, oh, one of my favorite scenes is when Catherine Heigl goes on her first date with Dr. Josh Lucas and Josh Duhamel is left at home with the baby and he's like feeding the baby watermelon and he's like, mm, do you come here a lot? Me too. Oh, yes, I live just around the corner. You live upstairs? Yes, I love when he's on the date with the baby, but I also love right before that when Josh Lucas shows up. Well, first of all, they're at the supermarket and he is like fake hitting on Katherine Heigl successfully in the scene that we mentioned before. Oh, Josh Duhamel, yes. Yes, and that's wonderful. But then Josh Lucas shows up at the supermarket and is actually hitting on her and Josh Duhamel is not so pleased. 
And then they finally go on the date, which has been kind of like in the offing since the beginning of the movie, because I think he had seen her at the bakery, plus her friend had wanted to set her up with him coincidentally. Yes. But anyway, so they finally go out and Josh Duhamel is just there with the baby being like, okay, well, call me if you need me. And you're like, you are so jealous and it is delicious. But why? But why would he feed a baby crushed fruit in an upholstered chair? Oh my god, I was like, bold. That's a bold choice. To give a baby food in a not immediately washable context. Frankly, I think it's bold to even have the baby be clothed. That's true. Anyway. What are your worst scenes? Oh, well, we discussed this at the time, and I think it's also what we said in our original blog post, is that there's a moment where they're meeting with the social worker, and Josh Duhamel makes, like, a very transphobic joke about his boss getting caught with a hooker. Yes. And first of all, I could not be more tired of this joke. I have seen this joke 2,000 times. It's such a lazy joke. But to their credit, the social worker does kind of call him out. But not really about the transphobia part, just about like, you know, his glibness in general. My worst scene, though, has to be the sequence where they like find out that their friends are dead. It's so sad, like genuinely so sad. But it's not badly done. No, it's well done. But it's just like, as far as like the movie, you're like, oh, things started on a high load. Oh, we hit the low note. Okay, well, nowhere to go, Bob. Also, like... I don't know how I've missed this in the past, but I think my worst line is when they're kind of making their love confessions. And I think it's Katherine Heigl being like, yeah, like I see now like why they thought that you and I blah, blah, blah. Is it one of them says this? It's because you and me together with Sophie somehow were a family. And I was like, gross. That is, that's a bad one. So what would you rate it this time around? Um, I think it's still pretty good. Maybe like eight out of 10. Oh, we didn't do People of Color. Oh, okay. Well, constantly forgetting about People of Color, just like all films. So there is, so none of their neighbors, because apparently they live in like, I don't know, still segregated Atlanta. But there is a black cabbie who Josh Duhamel foists the baby on at one point because he can't find a sitter. Yes. And then they each have like a non-white coworker or two, including Kumail Nanjiani. Yes, and Katherine Heigl has, like, I think a black, like, Afro-Latino sous chef, essentially, at her bakery. Yeah, was the cop at the beginning black? Oh, who comes, who tells them? Yeah. At the hospital? I think so. So, basically, four or five people of color in this movie that takes place in Atlanta. Yes, the black happy has a significant number of lines. Kumail Nanjiani is, you know, Josh DeHamel's work pal. Um, his married work pal who hates his married life because, you know, yeah. of course. Yes, because married people in these films always hate it's their marriages. just so unhappy. Josh DeHamel's boss is East Asian. So maybe five. Yeah. Five like, people of color with lines. Speaking of Atlanta, I did not realize that Greg Berlanti directed this film. Yes, and I was like, Greg Berlanti clearly only directs films that take place in the greater Atlanta area. What else did he direct? Love, Simon. Oh. Also with Josh Duhamel, coincidentally. Otherwise, he only does, you know, superhero stuff. But if not a superhero is to be found, it has to be in Atlanta. Those are his requirements. Probably contractual. I totally forgot that Josh Duhamel is the dad in that movie. I know. I was actually thinking midway through life as we know it, wouldn't it have been cute if Jennifer Garner's role had been played by Katherine Heigl? Like, I think Jen Garner is like a very suitable person for that role. But I think Katherine Heigl could have done it. I love Jennifer Garner in that, though. But it's very. I remember now that when we went to see 
Love, Simon, I was like, it's very unsettling that people that I think of as romantic comedy staples are now old enough to be the parents of teenagers, at least in Hollywood. Yes, yes. Um, In reality, maybe a smidge young, but teenagers must always be played by people older than they are, and parents must always be played by people younger than they are. Precisely. So I would give this like eight out of 10 smooches. I think that was my thought too. I think eight and a half, maybe not anymore, but eight, still solid. I think it would be like eight out of 10 unfun ladies, eight out of 10 Dr. Josh Lucases, eight out of 10 supermarket scoundrels, produce aisle prostitutes. Um, I was trying to think of more alliterative supermarket slander, but I couldn't think of any more. So thank you so much for listening. We are so happy to be celebrating Rom-Comathon's first birthday with you. Um, In case you missed it, we did an Instagram, well, we will do, I guess it's in our future, but it will be in this podcast past that we are doing an Instagram live for Rom-Comathon on Monday. So check that out. We're going to try to archive it to our highlights. So go ahead and watch if you haven't seen it and follow us on social media and we'll talk to you next time thank you to hannah oatman who composed our theme music and alexandra oatman who painted our logo art you can follow alexandra on twitter at at alexandra special thanks to quincy surasmith for advising us on the art of the podcast subscribe to his wonderful podcast asian americana at wherever you get your podcasts want more romcomathon you can read past reviews at romcomathon2016.tumblr.com and follow us at romcomathon2016 on Facebook and Twitter and romcomathon on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Please subscribe and rate romcomathon on iTunes. Thank you.